It's the Messiah Community Radio Talk Show. This is Michael James Lauren, and we have a really special guest. He's known in the industry, William Vanderblumen. He is actually he served as a pastor for 15 years, and then he founded Vanderblumen Search Group, and it's the leading search firm, and it's specifically focused on connecting churches and ministries with the right leadership with their teams. And welcome to the program. Oh, thanks so much, Michael. Really glad to be with you. Yeah, and it's a great topic, too, because you propose right here, what if when a pastor moved on, the church knew exactly what to do because a plan and a process had been in place for some time? It's amazing. I'm sure you'll let us know how unprepared churches actually are for this. It's not that churches don't know what they're doing. It's just that they haven't thought through the fact that every single pastor is an interim pastor. Well, I'm in the Fort Lauderdale area, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and um, have you ever been here? Lots of times. I, right, try and, I try and schedule my Fort Lauderdale clients sometime in January, February, or March. Yeah, <laughs> smart man. I, <laughs> and the best weather there is. That's I don't, for I sure. I haven't figured out how to get them to hire people during the first quarter, but uh, <laughs> that, that's when I like to go down there. Yeah, the sun is good, good humidity, very smart choice. And, uh, well, we had, you know, two really high-profile pastors, I mean really high-profile, that had to leave due to moral failings, a moral failure. And and both churches, you know, one is hanging on there pretty well. And uh, it, it's something you mentioned in your book. Uh, how difficult is it to get past that? I, I tell people all the time, it's getting harder and harder over the years to surprise me with some – tragedy that I haven't seen. I mean, it's horrible, but we kind of see the underbelly. You know, people don't call us on a good day, you know. So as we see these tragic things happen, sometimes it's good for the church to stop, pause, maybe have an interim pastor. But I'd say the vast majority of the time, if the church has uh, any clarity about what they want to get done and any degree of leadership, the best thing to do is to get going. You know, one thing that I think is really easy for people to think about with succession, everybody says, well, I don't want to think about when my pastor's going to leave. I don't want to think about how to... the easiest thing in the world to, to plan for is what would happen if our pastor got hit by a bus or a family member got sick and they had to leave? You know, what if suddenly we were left without a pastor? What would be the clear and present fix? Uh, who would do the preaching? If you're in a smaller church, who would do the visitation? Uh, how would the board meeting go the next month? And, and if you can start with that simple first step of just saying, let's talk about an emergency, because anyone can talk about it. It's like buying life insurance. That's not a hard conversation. It's let's plan for an emergency. Yes. That will get you off on the right foot of saying, how do we plan for what will happen? Because, you know, like death, taxes, those are certainties. And there is a certainty that sooner or later your church will have a different pastor. I, I tell people there are really only three possible outcomes I see to the end of a pastor's ministry. Uh, one, the pastor runs the church into the ground and it closes while he's there. That, not fun, right? Mm -hmm. uh, two, you might get to be the pastor on the day that Jesus returns. That would be very cool, but it's very hard to plan for. <laughs> the only other outcome I see is someone's going to come after you. So, but, but thinking that way is just a new, a new way of thinking, and churches are not known for jumping in with new ideas. So the simplest first step is 
let's talk about emergency, and then that will lead us to a healthier place of being able to talk about what do we do for long-term planning. Yes, and you mentioned, of course, an interim pastor. Should we even have an interim pastor? Before you answer that question, I want to ask, because your line of work, you know, you look at resumes probably a hundred times, maybe more, a hundred times a day, and uh, it's safe to say. And is it always in the resume? I mean, sometimes are you able to be like, a, I guess, Brian Cashman for the New York Yankees, where he's a talent <laughs> scout? And How do you find talent, uh, talented pastors, talented people in ministry? I know it's just not pastors, but you place people in all different kind of leadership in ministry. Uh, what do you look for? Do you look at different things than other people do? That's a great question. I'm still figuring that out. But uh, I would I would say this over the years, I've learned that no one teaches pastors how to write a resume. I mean, pastoral resumes are, in general terms, really bad. Uh, I and the worst are <laughs> the worst are children's pastors. They what just that? don't know children's pastors. Oh, my goodness. OK. <laughs> and I mean, God bless them. I mean, they're helping the part of the kingdom that Jesus said, hey, look, I'm really interested in kids. So <laughs> love them to death, but nobody's taught them how to do re- I got a I got a children's pastor resume a while back that was just a QR code. And I'm like, what is it? I've never scanned a QR code for anything. And this is your resume? So, well, it turns out <laughs> the guy was a great guy, but he did not know how to do a resume. I had another woman who had a, a resume that looked like she'd moved around and not done anything. But when I got down to interviewing her and actually paying attention to what she had done, then all of a sudden it was like, wow, you just don't know how to write a resume. So I would say, you know, part of the reason people pay us is to get behind the paper and figure out what's really going on. And if you want kind of a a secret tip or something like that for, for listeners to say, okay, I'm behind the paper. What do I do? I would say the number one uh, rule in interviewing is this, the greatest predictor of future performance is past performance. I see people make the mistake all the time of asking questions about how would you, how would you handle your first 100 days, what would you do if. I I think the far better question to ask people is, what have you done in the realm that you're trying to explore and see what they have done in the past because the past behavior will predict future behavior. I could tell I'm definitely hitting a nerve here because <laughs> of how many times you've had a, you know, I'm sure you're frustrated because you want everyone to succeed who's uh, planting their feet forward, you know, uh, looking forward to ministry. And it's true. Is there is there a book that you have in seminaries for this? Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, the book on uh, pastoral succession next pastoral succession that works that is in quite a few seminaries now and we released a second book just recently called search i would think if you are a candidate that wants to learn how search committees think you should you should get a hold of the book it's we made it very low cost it's it's a paperback book it's not a dissertation but it's uh it's an attempt to equip both search committees and candidates with the tools to be able to speak a common language and to be able to say, okay, this might be a fit or might not. So, William, I want to ask you something. You know, you're talking about uh, should you use an interim pastor? Do you think an interim pastor is kind of like a substitute teacher? I mean, are they treated sometimes as bad as that, or, or do you think that uh, you know there's more hope for an interim pastor? Should we treat them better? You know, it's all transitory. So whether they're there for a year or two or twenty or thirty or seven. It's all interim work. 
So if you have an interim pastor, don't treat him any different than a normal pastor. And, and you know, if you have an interim pastor, a, a lot of interim pastors who are, I have a lot of friends who are interim pastors and they do great work, but generally speaking, people just don't accept them very well. I don't know if it's, we don't like his preaching or we don't like the way she runs a meeting or it, it, it is entirely contextual. But I will say when you hire your new pastor, realize that's an interim pastor. And so the, you know, treat everyone the same, whether they're there for a year or seven or 20 or 50. So William, you bring up something in the church, um, you know, things that there were successions that you thought were not supposed to happen. One would be Joel Osteen and the other one would be Robert Schuler. One of them wasn't supposed to happen, which was Joel Osteen. And it turned out, you know, great big ministry, great success. And Robert A. Schuler. Uh, you would think it was supposed to be a success, and it wasn't. Can you address those that you talk about in the book? Well, you're getting me on thin ice, uh, Michael, uh, talking about my friends. Um, so Joel, who has been so gracious to me over the years, he is such the story. So I tell people very regularly, if they are actually going to let me into heaven, which I find kind of staggering, uh, if that really happens – then I, uh, I, the first person I'm going to look for after Jesus and whatever church or worship service we have when you get to heaven, I'm going to go find Jesse. Uh, you remember Jesse was David's dad, right? Yes. Yeah. So I want to, I want to sit down with Jesse and have a nice dinner and talk about what it feels like to line up all your sons and then have the prophet pick the one that nobody thought they'd pick. You remember he's yeah. like, it, Jesse lined up all his boys and the prophet said, yeah, what else you got? <laughs> and Jesse said, well, there's this short, ruddy one out in the field. And said, well, bring him in. And that was David. So, you know, one thing I'm learning with search is nothing is a slam dunk. Nothing's predictable. And it couldn't be more true with Joel. I mean, Joel was – of even of the children within the Osteen family, I don't know that any of them would have said Joel's going to be the guy. And yet, you know – he follows his dad, and amazing things happen, irrespective of what you think theologically about Joel, because I know he polarizes a crowd, and, and he knows that too. But irrespective of theological bent, what he's done following his father has been remarkable. I agree. So that should not have happened. I, and, and then, you know, Robert Schuler, uh, great. I mean, he's the grandfather of church growth. What a fantastic story. And to think that that church really doesn't exist anymore mm. is amazing. So they're just shocking stories, whether it be Robert Schuller or Joel Osteen or all the way back to, you know, the prophet picking David over all the tall, strong sons of Jesse. It's, it's, it's not a science. It's an art. And I tell people all the time, what we do is not some business solution. It's a, it's a work in progress with the help of the Holy Spirit, to try and figure out who is God calling to be your next pastor. And frankly, most of the time, none of us would have ever guessed which one it would be. You know, when it comes to the sensitivity of of pastors, does the church have it right? I mean, does the, the board, can, can they use some sensitivity training? Sometimes, you know, people go to seminary or they really have all the best intentions as a pastor, and they really get their, their uh, handed it to them, if you will. What can... People learn about not only sensitivity towards people in ministry or pastors, but uh, how would you elaborate on that? 
Well, that's a that's a rich, rich question. Um, if you're a pastor out there listening and you're thinking about taking a church, I would recommend a book. And it's been around a long time and has been a good book for a long time. It's called Clergy Killers. And that's not to put boards down. I mean, church boards, for the most part, are made up are made up of people who love God and are just trying to help out. But but every now and then you get like some churches that sort of are codependent on the drama. Like I just we need the drama. We need to have a pastoral relationship that you know has a lot of conflict. And there are some warning signs you can look for. And the book Clergy Killers will will help pastors figure out ahead of time, am I walking into a situation that's just not going to be fun? On yes. the flip on, on the flip side, sometimes pastors are the ones that's wrong. So I, I would just say to pastors or board members, you know, try and believe the best in each other. Uh, try, and, and if you're a church board and you're looking for new board members, here's one piece of advice that I've learned over the years. Don't name anyone to your church board who doesn't have power anywhere else in their life. If you if you put somebody on your church board that gets bossed around all day and gets yelled at at home and gets yelled at here, they don't have anyone to flex their muscle with. Chances are the enemy is going to use that as a means to uh, have them flex a muscle at a pastor or a staff member or whatnot. So I, I don't know if that's helpful, but that's that's just one lesson I've seen over the years. It's very helpful. I'm sure, you know, you don't want people being beat up who are trying to do things for the Lord Jesus. And unfortunately, that's what happens. There seems to be sometimes a lack of a sensitivity. Well, here's a good question here. Okay. Your book, once again, it's called Next, Pastoral Succession That Works. Okay. So you want to be the next pastor and you see that ad and so forth. And what are the ones that do it right? I mean, what are some of the things that just from a, a church consultant, which you are and recruiter, uh, leadership expert, what do people do right when they get the job for the next pastor, and what do they do wrong if and they don't get called at all? I would say uh, there are a lot of things to do right. You know, following – it depends on who you're following. If you're following somebody who made a big mess, that's one thing. If you're following a legend, that's another. But let, let's just assume you're following somebody who did a pretty good job and was there for a decent amount of time, if not a long amount of time. If I were giving one piece of advice that's universal and, and succession is so contextual, I mean, I wish I could, I wish I could design the software program that would just automate succession so that <laughs> there wasn't a need for search firms and all that. But the truth is you're dealing with people, people are messy and it's really hard to make universal rules. But if there's one piece of universal advice for following a legend, it's this spend your first six months becoming the resident history expert for the church you're serving. Go read every set of board minutes. Go find the oldest people in the congregation and say, what was it like in the glory days? Find out, Learn more stories about the history of the church than anyone else in the church. Because here's the truth. There is not a church on the planet that was founded with this mission statement. Nobody ever sat down and said, why don't we start a church that's made up of people who don't like change, who really want to do the same thing the same way all the time, who are going to chew people up, who introduce a new idea, and who don't care about lost people. No church ever started that way. None. All of them started with a burning vision for getting something great done for God. And if you can unlock the past, 
you'll unlock the future. And I'll give you a real-time example. First church I served, uh, I was associate pastor, great church, First Presbyterian Church of Hendersonville, North Carolina. And that's the western part of North Carolina. And the church was founded, I want to say, late 1830s, something like that. So one of my seminary professors had said, go read the minutes, you'll figure stuff out. I went and read the minutes of the board meeting, and I found the most interesting thing. The, the church started in the center of town, and then shortly after it began, it decided to relocate. And it had a great spot in the middle of town. It wasn't like they needed more acreage or anything. But the board minutes said, and this is horrible language. This is like so politically incorrect. But, it, but, the, but the church decided, we're going to move because we want to go north of town so that we can be near the savages, the Native Americans, so that we might introduce them to Jesus. And if you go back and read the history of what was going on, then this is the beginning of the Trail of Tears. This was not a friendly time between you know, Americans and Native Americans. And, and the church literally risked their safety in order to share Jesus with another. Well, when you tap into that story and you start to tell it to people that are in the church, they're like, you know, it's our DNA to take risks so people can know Jesus. Well, all of a sudden, they're okay with a couple new songs in worship, or they're okay with a new approach to ministry. So if you'll unlock your past, you can unlock your future. I'm just uh, listening to your wisdom here. I don't think that administration is looked at with high regard somehow, and I don't understand why that's the last thing that's left out in there. You wouldn't have a job, you know? <laughs> but for some reason, you have... You really, really honed in on something that people just don't want to pay attention to. You know, you look at people who have websites, they pay attention to Google Analytics and SEO and all these things. And uh, the people in the church, are you surprised that administration has a bad name or a bad rap? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that, frankly, pastors have been poorly equipped for administration. We write how to run a staff meeting, how to run a annual review. And it's because there's an absolute chasm between what's taught in seminary and what's needed to run the business. So it, that's why we've started a, a coaching network online that just helps people know the basics of church administration, things you didn't learn in seminary. And we called it Vanderbloom Academy, and it gives people a low-cost way to learn things about administration where they won't be so bad. Because if you're bad at administration, the business people in your church are not going to respect you. So that may not be where you wanted to go with the question, but uh, that's kind of what comes to mind. It's such an interesting topic, pastoral succession. It's something the churches ought to think more about, and you've given us a lot to think about in your book. William Vander Blumen has been our special guest, and his book is called Next, Pastoral Succession That Works. Thanks for being on the program. Glad to visit with you. 